Thanks for tuning in to the Renew Life Church Lubbock podcast today. We hope this message encourages you as you allow God's word and his presence to change your life. All right. One of the things when you start trying to be led by the Holy Spirit is sometimes you turn your brain off, and I forgot to do communion, so uh, we'll do communion for the end of the service. We do communion every Sunday, definitely something that's very important to me, uh, so we'll do communion. If you got your elements, we'll do that. Just hold on to those. We'll do communion at the end of the service, and so anyway, uh, you glad you came to church? Yeah, I am. Hey, can someone bring me some water, please? I just want to get some water before we get going. Um, if you got your Bibles, you can turn to Genesis chapter 18. Uh, we'll get there eventually, but I want to ask a question while you're turning to Genesis 18. I want to ask you to think about the most significant conversation you've ever had in your life. I want you to try to picture when that was. Most significant conversation you've ever had in your life. And then where were you when that conversation happened? Where were you when the most important conversation of your life happened? I... Um, Mine was, I, I've thought about this this week, mine was actually a pretty simple answer. I, uh, I guess I would have been, I guess I'd have been a freshman in college, no, I would have been a sophomore in college, and um, I remember my wife and I had started dating halfway through my freshman year, Leanne, uh, she's in Houston with our oldest at a volleyball tournament, so she couldn't be here, but our, um, we started dating in December of my freshman year in college, and about a year later, um, Leanne always wanted to have a, a winter wedding. And so you know, about a, almost a year later, one year had come and gone. Then it was her birthday coming up in February. And I was in college. I didn't have any money. I was pursuing a baseball career. She was pursuing a singing career. Uh, she had a contract with some, somebody in Nashville. And so that's kind of what she was pursuing was country music. And I was pursuing college baseball. And so education was kind of on my mind and all those things. And, and, and music was on hers. And so... Uh, it was one of those things we knew. I think we knew like a few months in. Uh, Leanne just knew she couldn't do life without me a few months in. And, um, <laughs> and uh, well, we knew a few months in that we were going to get married. We knew this. And so, but it was just kind of one of those things. I don't know if you've ever been there. It's like, you know, you're going to get married, but you got some life that you need to just get sorted out before you get there. <laughs> and um, so I remember just, I wasn't even thinking. I knew I wanted to marry this woman, but I was not thinking about asking her to marry me at all. And um, I forget exactly, it was just a, few, just a few short weeks before her birthday in February. Um, I, I, my sophomore year, I was going to college, but I was living at home. My parents had moved to Midland where I was going to school and playing ball, and so I was actually living in home, at home. And so I was in the guest uh, bathroom taking a shower one day, getting ready for, I can't even remember what we were getting ready for, but there are some things you just cannot forget. And all of a sudden, you know, I'm 19 years old, and my mom comes into the bathroom and goes, hey, what are you doing? And I'm like, excuse me? Why are you in the bathroom right now? Like, my mom's right there. <laughs> I'm tattling on her. <laughs> and I mean, can I just, can we just be honest? Like, what man, because I, I was kind of a grown man. <laughs> Who's really a grown man at 19 years old? But as much man as I could be at 19, 19 years old, I'm like, why are you, in, why are we having this conversation while I'm in the shower? Like, this should not, this should not be happening. And I remember feeling so awkward, like, mom, mom, get out. You know, this is yelling, get out of my room. And, uh, and she goes, I have to ask you a question. And I'm like, is it that important? How important could this question possibly be? And she goes, no, I'm serious. I have to ask you this right now. And she goes, why have you not asked Leanne to marry you? And I was like, 
that is not a sufficient answer. Get out. Like, this is none of your business. Get out of here. And, and so I'm like poking my head around the shower, like, get out, get out. You know? And she's like, no, I'm serious. And, and I said, why are, you, why are you pushing on this? And she goes, I just, I just want to know. Why, are you, why have you not asked Leanne to marry you? Do you want to marry her? I was like, yes. Are you going to marry her? Yes. Well, then why have you asked her? I was like, Mom, I don't have any money. Which still, behind the shower curtain, this, this conversation is happening behind the shower curtain with me poking my head out, like, why is this happening right now? And she said, so you just need money? And I was like, yes, I need money. These things cost money, and I have none of that. I'm, I'm in college, you know. And um, she goes, well, I'll give you the money. And I was like, you're not giving me the money to buy the, my, my wife's, I'm going to make the money myself. She goes, no, no, you're going to pay me back. But if your only reason you're not asking her to marry you is because you don't have the money, I'm going to give you the money. You need to ask this girl to marry you. Y'all need to get married. And I'm just like, First of all, I need to get up out of my business and get out of my bathroom, you know. Um, but honestly, there was something I could feel an urgency. It was the weirdest thing. There was just this urgency, like, and I could tell, like, she had never, ever done that in my lifetime, come barging in like that was such an odd question. And uh, it took me a long time, and, I, and not to get too heavy, it took me a long time to realize how significant this conversation was because I then went and I was like, well, if you're going to write me, so she wrote me a check, left it blank, said, go get whatever you need. I went, I bought, a, I bought a ring in two weeks. I think it took me 10 days to find one. And I went, got a ring, bought the ring. And then on her birthday in February, asked her to marry me. And so she had, like I said, she had always wanted a um, Christmas, a winter wedding. And so asking her in February, we were able to get married there in December 10 months later. The reason that that was significant, it was because uh, just a few weeks after we were married, her entire family was killed in a plane crash. And she would have been on that airplane, but we had just gotten married and gotten back from our honeymoon. And we would have been, we were in Tennessee going to school. And um, it's interesting because at the time you think this, there's just this weird, why is my mom feel so urgent about this weird thing? But it took me some time to realize, oh my gosh, had it not been for that conversation at that moment, at that time, I may not be married to my wife at this time. And um, again, I'm, not to get too heavy, but when I, when I started thinking about, you know, what I wanted to talk about today, uh, this conversation, I've played this over and over and over in my head so many times of what if. Anybody else got those crazy, strong what ifs? Like, man, I just, I just can't imagine. I can't imagine what if and how my life could be different. But I, as significant as that moment was, you know, I asked her to marry me. We got married, uh, and obviously the, the rest has been history. Her family's in heaven. Uh, it's, a, it's, a, it's a hard story. It's a hard thing to deal with at 20. We were 20 I was 21 when it, I had just turned 21 when all this happened. Um, I can think throughout the rest of my life, I can think of several other conversations, and I can replay those conversations that I had with someone. I remember asking Leanne's dad to marry me. Uh, I actually had a conversation with someone about this before the church uh, for service started. I remember having the conversation with Leanne's dad if I, if, if I could marry her. And so I remember that exactly where we were and having breakfast at this little diner. And uh, I, I remember several other key conversations. Uh, the reason I'm bringing it bring that up is because you, you've, you've all been thinking, you started off by thinking, where was I when the most significant conversation of my life happened? I propose to you that um, the most sick, significant conversations, whether you know this or not, the most significant conversations you were, have ever had in your life did not happen anywhere out here. They happened in here. The most significant conversations you have had, and I will propose you will ever have, 
are the conversations that you will have right in here. Nothing dictates the trajectory of your life like the conversations that happen inside your own head. I, um, I want to read this story. It's one of the most fascinating stories to me uh, in Scripture. There's a, lot of, there's a lot of layers to it. So I just want to begin by reading in Genesis chapter 18. He says, Then the Lord appeared to him, him being Abram, Abraham. Uh, by this point, the Lord had changed his name to Abraham. Then the Lord appeared to him by the terebinth trees of Mamre, and he was sitting in the, in the tent door in the heat of the day. So he lifted his eyes. Now pay attention to some of these very strange details. So he lifted his eyes and looked, and behold, three men were standing by him. And when he saw them, he ran from the tent door to meet them, and he bowed himself to the ground. He said, My Lord, if I, would have, if I found favor in your sight, do not pass on by your servant. Please let a little water be brought and wash your feet and rest yourselves under the tree, and I will bring a morsel of bread that you may refresh your hearts. After that, you may pass by and as much as you've come to your servant. They said, do as you have said. So Abraham hurried into the tent to Sarah and said, quickly, make ready three measures of fine meal, knead it, make cakes. And Abraham ran to the herd, took a tender and good calf, and he gave it to a young man, and he hastened to prepare them, prepare it. So he took butter and milk and the calf which he had prepared, and he set it before them, and he stood by them under the tree as they ate. Then they said to him, it's interesting, it's they, it's, he, it's, he says it's the Lord, but it's a they and it's three men. I think that's interesting. Uh, where is your wife Sarah at? They asked. He said, well, she's, she's here in the tent. And he, notice it went from they said to he said. It's, it's so interesting to me. I will certainly return to you according to the time of life. And behold, Sarah, your wife, shall have a son. Sarah was listening in the tent door which was behind him. Now Abraham and Sarah were old, well advanced in age, and Sarah had passed the age of childbearing. Therefore, four important words here, Sarah laughed within herself. Sarah laughed within herself, saying, After I've grown old, shall I have pleasure, my Lord being also, or my Lord being old also? And the Lord said to Abram, Why did Sarah laugh, saying, Surely I should bear a child? Surely I should. Shall I surely bear a child since I am old? Is anything too hard for the Lord? At the appointed time, I will return according to the time of life, and Sarah shall have a son. Verse 15. But Sarah denied it, saying, I didn't laugh. Oh, I didn't laugh. He literally just answered your thought, and then you're still trying to deny it. Like, I don't know what you're talking about. And then I love it. He goes, no, you laughed. Turn to your neighbor and said, no, you did. You did. A couple of things, I, again, I've pointed it out multiple times. I love that, that Abram, I love that he recognized the Lord when the Lord showed up as three random dudes. Uh, I, I think there's, there's something to be said for that. Um, you know, the Lord has permission to show up however he wants. And I think it's important for us, if we want to see the Lord, that we give him permission to show up however he wants. Uh, when we're wanting a word from the Lord, we've got to be willing to allow that word to come from wherever he wants. Uh, however he wants, from whoever he chooses. And uh, so I, I find it interesting that Abram, he, he noticed that right away. It didn't take him long. He saw the three men, and immediately he's like, oh, my gosh, this is, this is the Lord. Uh, I find it also interesting that um, the Lord chose to visit someone that he knew uh, that when he showed up would cook him a steak. Now, if you're a plant-based or vegan or vegetarian or whatever, I'm not saying that you're wrong. I'm just saying that the Lord seems to like to go to places that have meat. 
and Abram was the father of the faith. So whatever, you read your Bible and tell me what you think. Uh, um, <laughs> sorry, that was just me being a smart aleck. Um, now, what I love here in this story, and I, as I've read this, I'm actually trying to wrap my head around because it's an interesting story. If you go back and, and, and read all through Genesis, Genesis 14, 15, 16, 17, 18, we're in Genesis 18 today. Uh, this is actually the third time that the Lord had come to Abraham and talked to him about this idea that you're going to have a son, you're going to be the father of many nations. The original covenant, the original promise was made in Genesis chapter 15 where the Lord came to Abraham and told him about this. Then he comes again at one point and kind of encourages him, you're going to be the father of many nations. It doesn't get as specific as you're going to have a son. But I think it's interesting here that he shows up to this tent, and, he, and instead of talking to just Abraham this time, he says, hey, where, where's Sarah at? Where, where's Sarah? And he goes, well, she's in the tent. And he, and he repeats a word in front of her that he had given to, to Sarah before. Now, what's interesting is in, in between all this is the story of Hagar and Ishmael where Sarah come to, to Abraham and said, hey, I can't have a son for you. Um, you, you just need to sleep with Hagar. We, you, you, you deserve a son. And I think it's interesting that at that time the, that Abraham didn't have the courage to tell, him, tell his own wife, say, hey, I just thought I'd let you know the Lord actually came to me and said that we're going to actually have a son. Because she was shocked. This is the first time I think, I actually believe this, I actually think this is the first time Sarah is hearing this, this concept. Can you imagine? I was actually talking to Dan about this in the green room. Can you imagine that conversation afterwards when she does get pregnant and the whole thing and he goes back and he goes, hey, I, I need to tell you something. Remember, remember how you had told me to sleep with Hagar and there's Ishmael and this, this really tough? Yeah, I actually knew before that. I actually knew before that that we were going to get pregnant. But I just thought I'd let you know now. It's like, <laughs> oh, you're telling me now. <laughs> so, um, but it's interesting that, you know, the Lord shows up and he, he draws attention he draws attention specifically to Sarah in this particular instance. And Sarah's not in their presence. But he, he, says, he says these words to Abraham. Sarah overhears the conversation. And after the word of the Lord came in the natural, a conversation began on the inside of her. Psh, have a baby. Are you crazy? Can't have a baby. I'm too old. I'm too old to have a baby. There's no way. And, and, and it was even sarcastic. It says she laughed within herself. It was so obnoxious, the idea that she could have a baby, that she was even sarcastic about it. It's like, oh, yeah, my old, my old self's going to have a baby, and we know his old self can't do what he needs to do, and now my old self can't do it. I, ain't nobody having a... And she's almost being like a smart aleck about it, you know? And then the Lord, an, the, the Lord answers the conversation in her head. Can we all just be honest and admit that there's been times where we've had conversations in our head that go against the word of the Lord? And I propose to you that it was, it's one thing for, uh, you know, it's not rocket science. My biology teacher in high school, you say it's not rocket surgery. Um, it, 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 it requires both Abraham and Sarah to pull this promise off. And so the Lord had come to Abraham, and I believe his faith had been going and moving in a certain direction, but he didn't just need Abraham's faith going in the right direction. He, just, he didn't just need Abraham thinking correctly. He needed Sarah thinking correctly. And the Lord was aware of the fact that Sarah's having conversations in her head. There are, there are conversations happening in her head that do not line up with the Word of God. We've all been there before. I uh, 
I want to read this in, in Proverbs chapter 16, verse 3. It says, roll your works upon the Lord, commit and trust them wholly to him, and he will cause your thoughts. Now, I'm reading from the Amplified. He will cause your thoughts to become agreeable to his will, and then so shall your plans be established and succeed. I propose to you that success only happens, our plans being established only happens once we start to think like God. Once the conversations that are happening in our head start to align with the word of the Lord. How serious of an issue is wrong thinking? How serious of an issue are these conversations that we're having in our head? 2 Corinthians 10, verse 3, starting in verse 3, says this. It says, for though we walk in the flesh, we're not waging war according to the flesh. For the weapons of our warfare are not of the flesh, but have divine power to destroy strongholds. We destroy arguments and every lofty opinion raised against the knowledge of God and take every thought captive to obey Christ. Let me read this in, in the New Living Translations. We are human, but we don't wage war as humans do. We use God's mighty weapons, not worldly weapons, to knock down strongholds of what? Human reasoning. Where do these strongholds exist? Up here where we're having these conversations in our head. Up here where we're reasoning certain things in our head. And we destroy false arguments. Just because something makes sense doesn't mean that it's true. There are a lot of things that make sense in the natural that are false according to the kingdom. It says, we destroy every proud obstacle that keeps people from knowing God. We capture their rebellious thoughts. Don't you think about that? Rebellious thoughts. And teach them to obey God, to obey Christ. Um, I, I want to sh- make a statement, and then I'll do a little bit of explaining. Any thought contrary to God... And his word is not just an unwelcomed guest, it's a rebellious intruder. Any thought that does not line up with the word of God, that does not come from God, it's not just an unwelcome guest, it's an invasive, rebellious intruder. How many of you guys have ever had someone over to your house and after, you, after, that, after a few minutes, a few hours of them being there, you're just like, yeah, I just want you to leave. Anybody else? You, it's like... It's just not any fun. It's not any good. They're rude. They're, you watch them pick, you've cooked them dinner, and they're kind of picking around their plate, and you're like, eat it, <laughs> eat it. <You> know? <laughs> it's good, I promise. <laughs> uh, we, we've had unwelcome guests in our house before. You've had seasons where maybe someone had to live with you, and uh, at first it seemed like a good idea, but a few weeks, a few months have gone by, and you're like, okay, uh, you need to get a job. You need to get your own place. You're not as welcome here, and We've had situations where it's holidays. Holidays come, someone comes into town, it's like, ah, oh, can you, you have somewhere I can sleep? And all of a sudden you're trying to think of any excuse you can have to not let them stay at your house. You start coughing, like, you know, like, I might have the COVID, you know. <laughs> Never know. Um, that's, no one wants an unwelcome guest in their house. But you know what? We kind of put up with it. We treat unwelcome guests a certain way. We just kind of put up with it. We let, it, we let time pass. We let the thing run its course. It t- usually takes a long time for us to... That had to be a very unwelcome guest in our home for us to ever take any kind of strong action against this person. But I want you to think now of a home intruder. 
Let's say you're sitting in your living room and all of a sudden the door gets kicked in and a bunch of guys in masks come in. It's a home invasion. I want you to think about how much more you want them out of your house than you want the unwelcome guests out of your house. Unwelcome guests, they could just be rude, making your life a little bit uncomfortable and so on and so forth. But this intruder, this invader, this rebellious person, they're not there just to make your life uncomfortable. They're there to take your life. They're there to steal your life. They're there to ruin your life. We can, we can overcome an unwelcome guest. Sometimes we cannot overcome a home invasion. Some of the things that happen when someone's aggressively going in there with, with harm on their mind. Can I just say this to you? The thoughts that the enemy plants in your head that are not in line with the word of God, they are not unwelcome guests. They are rebellious intruders. I know this because of how he tells us to handle them. He says, wage war against this. Wage war. Capture them. Enforce them. Take every thought captive and force them to obey what Jesus said. I have a feeling that there are things that we sit there and play over and over. I know that happens in my life. There are things that I allow to just sit there and sit there and sit there. Because I've some, for some reason, I've looked at that thought as like, no, that's just, I'm just thinking. It's just not, it's not really affecting my life. It's not really doing anything into my life. It's just an unwelcome guest. I hate that it's there. I was like, oh, I need to. And we say things like, I need to stop thinking about stuff like this. Anybody ever been there? I just, we take it just kind of like, yeah, but what if it was an intruder? What if you looked at that thought? Looked at, what, if, look, what if you looked at that wrong thought, that, 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 um, that thought of doubt? that thought of fear, that thought of unbelief, and you say, wait a minute, the longer it's in here, it's planting its roots into my subconscious. It's planting it, it's, make, it's trying to make a home out of my home. It's wanting to stay here, it's wanting to live here, it's wanting to affect everything I do from here on out. See, that's what was happening here with, with Sarah. She had a thought she had things in her head. You can tell they had been there a while. I don't think the desire had been gone. I don't think the desire ever left Sarah to have a child. I think the belief that it could happen is what left. Because an, invas- an invasive intruder had come in and said, you're too old. God can't heal your body. Your husband's too old. Now, in the, it, on the, in the natural, it could... It looks like it makes sense. This is just natural. It makes sense. But it was, there, it was planted by the enemy into her mind to keep her, from, to keep her from seeing the plan of God happen in her life. And the Lord shows up and he's like, hey, you've, you've got some things going on in here and we got to get them out. Get them out. You know, it's jarring. I mean, just imagine if you're sitting here and you're having, we're having a conversation and you just think some, like, crazy thought like, oh, my gosh, he's got a big, giant piece of broccoli in his teeth. And right when you sit, thought, had that thought, I went, oh, do I have broccoli in my teeth? I'm like, okay, there's a little bit of witchcraft going on in here. Like, it's very jarring. Can you imagine Sarah when she's in the tent? She's just overhearing a conversation go on. And as she's literally laughing in herself, she hears the Lord say, why is Sarah laughing? She's like, oh, shoot literally just got busted by God, like literally. He came and he jarred this thing saying, hey, 
you're thinking wrong. You're having conversations in your head that you should not be having. You're tolerating voices in your head that you should not be tolerating. These thoughts in your head, they are not simply unwelcome guests. They are rebellious intruders trying to steal your dream, trying to steal the plan of God for your life. This is very basic. All of us believe this. I think we know this. In, in our head, there are basically only three people, three participants in most conversations that we have in our head. There's us, there's God, and there's an enemy. It's, it, it doesn't, there's, there's some complexities to that, but basically speaking, there are, there are three people having thoughts. I'm sorry, there are three people, uh, three voices that are showing up in these conversations that we're having in our head. And I think every single one of us struggle with this sometimes. How do we know which one's talking? I'm, I know I'm having these thoughts. I know I'm having conversations. I'm, I know I'm playing these scenarios. I know, I know I've got stuff going on up in there. But I wanna, how, do we, how do we know, uh, how do I know which one of these voices, who's, who's saying what? How do I know it's an invasive intruder? How do, I know, how, do I, how do I know it's not me? How do I know it's not God speaking? Let me just give you a couple things uh, to help you identify if it's the enemy in your head. If, if it's the enemy in your head, if it's him that's doing the talking, uh, almost every single time it will come, it'll have a tone to it of him trying to convince you that your performance equals your identity. That is the number one thing that the enemy attacks when he's in, in your head. He's trying to get you to equate how you do to who you are. What you've done what you haven't done, how you are performing. He will try to take you back to the law. He will try to take you back to a covenant of do's and don'ts. You only get what you want if you do what you should. Why? Because if he can convince you of that, we all know we ain't perfect. So if he can convince you that your performance equals your identity, then immediately he eliminates any faith that what you hope should he eliminates any faith that what you hope could happen might actually happen because I don't deserve it. He has just severed faith out of, your, out of the equation. Why? Because now you don't, you don't deserve it. You haven't earned it. So one of the first things the enemy does is he'll try to, so he'll bring stuff up. He'll bring up areas in your life. When, when conversation, let's just say you're going into a situation and you're believing God for something, you're going after something you think God has said, has, has for you, but then all of a sudden a conversation starts coming up in your mind. If the conversation starts reminding you of things in your past that were not things that should have happened, 100% we know that's a rebellious intruder. We 100% know, wait a minute, that's the enemy trying to say, wait a minute, why are you believing for this? Why do you think your marriage can work out this way? How, why do you think your business can prosper? Why do you think you can be called to ministry? How, how could you possibly think this? Because don't you remember that thing you did? Don't you remember that thing you're still doing? Don't you know who you are? What makes you think in your performance? What makes you, and he tries to attach your performance to your identity, what makes you think that you can have this. And if you believe that lie, immediately there is no faith for the thing that God has planned for you. You have no faith. Now I'm like, well, it might happen, but I doubt it. Now it's just a place, well, I, I had hoped that it would happen, but now I know that I don't deserve it. He'll try to get you to attach your, your performance to your identity. Another thing you'll know if it's the enemy speaking is he'll try to get you to question God. 
He'll just try to plant a question. Sometimes it just shows up as a question. He'll get you to question the word of God. He'll get you to question the love of God. He'll get you to question the power of God. It's one of the, one of the cool stories about in, in the Bible. It's the, the, the three Hebrew children um, that got thrown into the fiery furnace. They said a couple things. They said, I, we know our God can, and we know he will. That means they had not lost faith in his ability and his power, and they had not lost faith in his love. He loves us too much to want us to go through this, and we know he can. One of the things that the enemy will start to do is he'll try to question, get you to start questioning the love of God. He'll plant dumb little thoughts like, oh, really, God is love? Then why is this thing happening? Why is this happening? Why did this thing happen to this person? Why is this going on in our country? If God's so good, anybody ever heard that one going in your head? If God's so, and some, sometimes it comes in somebody else's head right out their mouth when they're questioning you. And they're identifying that something's been stolen from them. <laughs> but they, then they try to put it on you like, oh, really, God's so good? You're trying to witness to somebody. Oh, really, God's good? Really? Then why do these things happen? Question, question, question. And it starts to poke around at the goodness of, poke accusation at the goodness of God. Poke accusation at the, the power of God. There's a new song that's, uh, I don't even know who sings it. I heard it on Bethel. That it hadn't even been released yet. Uh, Brandon Lake sang it a couple weeks ago in Reading for the first time, and I was listening to an interview with Bill Johnson, and I guess Brian had just texted Bill and said they're fixing to record this song. But um, there's this part in the, in this, in this, at the end of this song where he just begins to declare, I've seen cancer healed. I've seen metal plates dissolved. Don't you tell me he can't do it. And he just begins to declare different, I've seen relationships restored. I've seen prodigals return. Don't you tell me he can't do it. I've seen too much. Don't tell me he can't do it. That's what faith says. Faith says, don't tell me he can't do it. The enemy says, can he? Sometimes he's not so aggressive. He knows you well enough to know that if he comes at you too hard, too just straight up. Can I just acknowledge the devil doesn't show up in a red suit, little horns and pitchfork? It's just a, hmm, what makes you think, what makes you think this will happen? What makes you think you can lay hands on someone they actually get healed? You're ready to go lay hands on someone, and Lord, you feel like the Lord speaks to you and says, go lay hands on that coworker. Go lay hands on that coworker. They're, I'm going to do a miracle. What if it doesn't? Question. Question. He doesn't just come and says, God is, God is, he doesn't come, God is not real. Just quite, right, what, what if you go lay hands on him and he doesn't, they don't get healed this time? What if, what if, what question, question, question. I'll move on. I can tell you're thrilled about this. Another thing is oftentimes that if it's a word of, if from the enemy, it'll create fear and worry and anxiety. Sometimes he'll put, us, he'll put things on our mind. This has been, I'll just be really honest with you. Very, I've had a situation in my own personal life where uh, it, there, it's been around something. Let me put it this way. When I think about it, it creates fear. It creates worry. It, it creates anxiety. It's an area of my life where the, I've got a lot of question marks. I've got a lot of uncertainty. I'm not really sure how this is going to work out, what to do. And sometimes it's real easy for me to take it on. It's like, well, I'm the man of the house. It's my responsibility. I'm the leader of the church. It's my responsibility. And I will falsely take on conversations in my head, entertain conversations in my head that don't produce any of the fruits of the Spirit. But, you know, it's my responsibility to power through this thing. No, if you were a real man, if I were a real leader, then I would hand that thing. The Bible says, cast your cares upon him. Let him carry them for you. So anytime there's a situation that when it, or, or a, a thing going on in your life, and every time you think about it, every, it's like you have no real answers. It creates anxiety, worry. That's not a conversation that's supposed to be going on in here. 
It's a rebellious intruder. It's stealing your joy. It's stealing your margin. It's robbing your soul of joy. And sometimes, well, no, I need to keep thinking about this. I need to figure it out. I need to figure it out. Anybody else, when you get in those situations, it's just like you're just a dum-dum. You just keep banging your head like me. You just keep banging your head against the wall. I've got to figure it out. I've got to figure it out. I've got to figure it out. No, you don't have to figure it out. You have to cast it upon someone who's already figured it out. But it feels so righteous. It's that Mary Martha thing. Just totally convinced. Well, we're, no, it's the lazy ones that aren't doing anything about this. It's the one, I'm over here working. I'm over here thinking. Anybody else thinking about this stuff like I am? No. Does anybody, anybody else care as much as I do about this church? No. And we take on this, this sense of pride that comes over us. It doesn't even, no, no. Long before this church or my family ever existed, this church and my, fam, my family belonged to him. And sometimes I'm like, here, you're clearly not doing a good enough job. Let me come over here and worry about this. Maybe that'll fix it. Let me just think about it and just keep thinking about it. Does it ask, ask yourself, does it, does it create in you the fruits of the Spirit? When, you think, when, when that conversation's rolling around your head, does it produce love, joy, peace, patience? That's, that's a tough one because sometimes conversations in our head, the, the enemy will try to puff up a situation where it's so big that you go, I got to do something right now. If somebody does, does do something right now, this thing can't go another five minutes. Somebody needs to do something right, I have to do something right now. That doesn't sound like a, a, a fruit of the Spirit. It doesn't sound like patience. Let's see here. Now, I, one of the biggest questions I think we have, and this is going to sound like I'm literally ta- I'm fixing to preach this message. Now it's going to feel like I'm going to preach a completely opposite message, but I just want you to hear my heart on this, because I think, I think one of the things that sometimes we wonder, for me personally, I don't sometimes have a hard time distinguishing between my thoughts, or I, I don't have a hard time distinguishing between God's thoughts and the devil's thoughts. That one's not that hard for me. The more, I, the more you learn the word, the more you know the word, the more you're around him, it becomes a little easier to distinguish. The, the one I have the most trouble with is, was that my thought or God's thoughts? That's the one that gets me the most. That's the one that, especially more mature believers, as you begin to follow him, it's like, okay, I'm, I'm not really wrestling so much with good and evil and bad. That's not what I'm wrestling with. It's like, was this my idea or was this God's idea? And I'm fixing to say something that I, I promise you is not going to go over well. Uh, so I'm just, I'm literally preparing you ahead of time. Um, God is not trying to make it easy for you to hear him. Like I said, I knew this wouldn't go over well. I want you to think about what I'm saying, though. God's not actually trying to make it easy for you to hear him. One of the problems with this concept of hearing God is sometimes we put hearing God in front of knowing God. Because the truth of the matter is, we just need to know what to do. We don't just want to hang out. This was the old covenant. This was the children of Israel. They said, you know, we don't want to hang out with the Lord. We don't want relationship with the Lord. Moses, can you just go talk to him? You go have relationship with him. In your relationship, find out what we're supposed to do, then send the word of the Lord back. We don't want to know God. We just want to know what to do. 
That's one of the, I got very, very convicted. I'm being very, very transparent with you right now. I got very, very convicted this uh, Friday, Saturday, Sunday. I, um, I was, I, I, I'm just being really honest. I was, I was really pressing in. I wanted a word from the Lord. I wanted to hear, I had been, had, this, this message has been rolling around in me for about a month. And I just, I heard the Lord say, I need you to address the conversations people are having in their head, the conversations that are going on. And um, so I've been thinking about this. And, but then about Friday, I kind of turned my attention towards this message. And I, I began to press into God. I began to spend time in prayer. I began to spend time in worship. And I really, really, I wanted to get a word of the Lord. I wanted to get great examples. I wanted to get great scriptures. I wanted to get great. I wanted to hear from him as to exactly what um, I was supposed to say to you today. And all of a sudden, I'm in the middle of this, and I just had this little subtle thought from the, I think the Lord just put this in there, and he said, when's the last time you pursued me this hard without anything to do? So you, you want to hear me, right? And I was, being, I was just being corrected by my father. He's like, no, you really want to hear me right now so that you can do something Sunday. You're not in here because you want to know me. You just want to hear what you're supposed to do. And I just had the thoughts that, wow, I, because I'm not a, I'm not an intentional rampant sinner. I'm not like got a bunch of skeletons in my closet. I get up every day. I spend time with the Lord every single day. I, I listen to podcasts and worship and I read books. I'm in his, I'm, I'm pursuing him in some way, shape or form every day. But I notice that it ramps up only when I have something to do. So... Let me read a scripture because you're like, you prove that. Um, listen to this in Proverbs chapter 25, verse 2. It says, it's the, it is God's privilege to conceal things. It's the king's privilege to discover them. Can I just say this? If you're having problems hearing God, ask yourself, why do I want to hear God? Because he's not, there are some things he's like, look, I don't need you to know the answer. I just need you to want to get close to me. And we're so focused on, no, I need to hear God. I need to hear God. What am I supposed to do in this situation? I want to know. I want to know. I want to know. And it's, it's like, wait a minute. What are we, what's the purpose of hearing God? Initially, in the garden, we were created not to have to hear the word of the Lord over his presence. There was a tree of the knowledge, knowing what to do, knowledge of good and evil. And what did he say? Stay away from that. That's not how I created you. I created you. In fact, I, you know what? Here's how I created you. Here's a bunch of yeses. Here's a bunch of trees. You're both naked. Get thumbs up for that. Uh, <laughs> this is how I created you. Bunch of yeses. One no. Bunch of yeses. A bunch of authority. And hey, I'll be back in that this afternoon. I just can't wait to hear how your day went. I can't, I, I'll be back this afternoon. Tell me how you've expanded the garden. I can't wait to hear what you came up with. I, I want to be with you. I want to give you authority. I want to give you power. And I, give you, I want to give you a, a place where you don't feel ashamed of being around me because that's really what it's about. And yeah, you'll have an assignment for sure. But the key is not to focus on the knowing the right and the wrong that I'm supposed to be doing. The focus is supposed to be on just enjoy what I've already done for you and I'll be back this afternoon to hang out and you can tell me about it. So the reason, the reason I'm saying this to you is because I think, well, I know I wish someone would have told me this when I was growing in the things of the Lord. Because I realized I was striving. I want to hear God. 
I want to hear him. I want to hear him. I want to hear him. I wanted that. But I, I wish someone would say, why? Why do you want to hear him so bad? Why don't you just hang out with him? If you need to hear him, he'll speak. How many times in Scripture did God need to be heard? And all of a sudden, what happened? A voice from the heavens was so loud, everyone heard. A couple times, when Jesus got baptized, he came up out of the water, and the Holy Spirit ascended upon him like a dove, descended upon him like a dove, and a voice from the heaven cried out, This is my beloved Son in whom I'm well pleased. Why did he speak so loudly? Because he needed to be heard. In that very moment, he needed to be heard. He needed people to know who he was. He needed people to know who he was, and he needed, he needed Jesus. Think about this. He needed Jesus to know how he felt about him. I propose to you that the key to ministry is knowing how Jesus feels about you, how God feels about you. He was going into his ministry, and even Jesus needed to hear his father say, I'm already pleased. I know you're just starting and hadn't done anything yet. I just want you to know I already love you. There was another time, the Mount of Transfiguration, where Peter's talking and interrupting a really cool moment, and it's like, I got a great idea. Let's build a monument. That's what we need to do here. You know? I know everybody's glowing, but that's not the big deal. The big deal is this monuments we need to build. And the Lord literally interrupts him and says, Hey, Peter, um, shush. It's <laughs> my interpretation. So. Again, I, I want us to, I, it's, again, it feels like I'm preaching two messages. I was, I, I was struggling with this. I'm like, Lord, this is not a congruent message. This thing does not go together. I'm like, learning how to hear God and the voices in your head. And then it's like, don't want to hear God. <laughs> How do these two things make sense? Now, what I'm saying is I don't want you to leave here and be discouraged when you're on this journey if all of a sudden it doesn't just happen just like that. Because it is the glory of God to conceal things. Why? Because he wants you to search them out. He doesn't just want to give, he didn't just want to give you the answers and say, hey, I'm going to give you all the answers. Because let me tell you what we'd do if we had all the answers. We'd never come back to the one with the answers. We never, we, if you'd be honest with you, you wouldn't. It, I, if most of you, if you're really honest, you wouldn't even be in church today if you had some of the answers you were looking for. To be honest, we wouldn't, we'd quit pursuing him if all of a sudden it was, if it was all about just hearing everything he was supposed to say. That's why Jesus told the disciples, he's like, hey, there's many things I can say. There's many things I could share with you right now. You're not ready for them. But it is the glory of God to conceal things. So just know this, when you're trying to distinguish when you're trying to distinguish, oh, man, this thing came up on the inside of me. I think that this might be God. It could be me. It could be God. Ah, oh, I want to know which one it is. I want to know which one it is. Just change the way you're approaching it. Say, Lord, until you tell me which one it is, I want to be with you. And I'm going to just keep being with you, and I'm going to keep pursuing you, and I'm going to keep reading my Bible, and I'm going to keep worshiping, and I'm going to keep praying, and I'm going to keep coming to church, not just so I can hear you or learn about you. I just want to be with you. And when the thing that I need to hear, when the time comes that I need to hear, I trust you. That's why the Bible says, my sheep know my voice. Because when we need to hear it, he makes it clear. He makes it super clear. But the point is not supposed to be hearing him. It's more the journey of getting close to him and the reasons why. Oh, yeah. The goal should be to know him. How important is it to know him? Matthew 7, verse 21. Actually, we'll start in 22. On that day, many will say to me, Lord, Lord, did we not prophesy in your name? What is, what is one of the, the, what's the underbelly of prophecy? I heard the Lord. Now I'm going to tell you what I heard. I'm going to tell you what I saw. Did we not prophesy in your name? Did we not cast out demons in your name and do many mighty works? 
What's the, what's the emphasis here? People that know how to hear God and know how to do the things. And, that, and he'll declare to them, I never knew you. That should ring in our hearts. In every single thing that's going on in our life, the goal should be to know and to be known by him. Not just to be able to hear him, not just to be able to perform the works. I love signs, wonders, and miracles. I love that. I love, I want to see, I mean, honestly, this, this week is so great for me. I mean, you know, um, well, I won't go into that. Some of the things that got healed this week, I'm like, I love to see those. I, that, was a, that was a new one for me. It was the first time I'd seen STD. That was, that was a new one for me. It was a new one for someone to call and say, yeah, it's actually been gone for years now. I just hadn't told you. I was like, you know, you should tell me those things. Like, it's kind of a big deal, you know. Let me just end with this in Proverbs chapter 20 because I do want you to hear the word of the Lord again. It's like, is this even a message? I don't even know. Um, Proverbs chapter 4 verse 20 says, My son, give attention to my words. Incline your ear to my sayings. Do not let them depart from your eyes. Keep them in the midst of your heart for they are life to those that find them. Thanks again for listening today. If you'd like to join us in person for church, Renew Life meets every Sunday morning at the YWCA at 6501 University Avenue in Lubbock, Texas. For more information on our ministry, check out renewlifechurch.com or find us on social media. We hope to see you soon.